Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for the Wichita State Shocker Men's Basketball Coaches Show with your head coach, Greg Marshall, presented by your hometown Chevy dealers. Now let's go live to AJ's Sports Grill at the Alley at the corner of 13th and Greenwich Road with the voice of the Shockers, Mike Kennedy. Good evening and welcome to AJ's and we continue our coaches show night. Men's basketball head coach Greg Marshall stepping in. Still to come this evening, you will hear from women's head basketball coach Keitha Adams. And then as we did last week, just so we're into the routine here, we will be recording the Shocker Baseball Coaches Show with Eric Wedge from 8 to 9 again this week. And then the softball show with Christy Bredbender has already been recorded, and those shows will air tomorrow night. Baseball from 6 to 7, softball from 7 to 7.30. That should be the last time we have those kinds of conflicts. It'll be live shows throughout on Monday nights. And no coaches shows next Monday, March the 2nd because there will be a women's basketball game on these signals, and in this time frame, they have a game at UCF starting at 6 o'clock next Monday. So women's basketball next Monday, no coaches shows, then we'll get back into the routine. Head coach Greg Marshall joins me. Coach, obviously a really disappointing loss yesterday at Cincinnati, a hard-fought game. You had chances, but I wanted to start with Maybe if you were still reasonably pleased a lot of, about a lot of things in the way your team played yesterday. Uh, Mike, I, I was. I was pleased with a lot of things that we did. Um, I thought we competed really hard. Um, I thought we defended exceptionally well, uh, with the exception of the fouling at the end. Um, I thought we changed defenses and changed offenses very well throughout the course of the game in a tough environment, one that wasn't conducive for communication. Um, in the end, I, I just was a little disappointed uh, in not making some of those shots that we had, whether in the lane or uh, post-ups with Jaime that he's been making on a regular basis. And then a, more than a couple of handfuls of threes that were open and pretty good looks. So we uh, we got to make one more play. We keep saying that, but we're not doing it. So um, ultimately, uh, that's going to determine where we go. And it's it's really interesting when you think back that you faced two teams that played some one-three-one zone, Tulsa and Cincinnati, and. 
just so people know, when you attack those properly, you're going to tend to get shots at the edges of the free throw circle and in the corners. And you've executed and gotten those shots, and in both games, just a lot of wide-open shots there that didn't go down for you. And, yeah, Dexter makes the little runner on the right baseline. Finally, uh, we at least got in the right spots. But what I'm looking at when I look out there, and it's hard to hard – it's not an excuse. It's just a fact. I'm looking a lot of times at Noah and Grant or Grant and Tyson or Tyson and Noah. And no matter how you shake that little cup with the dice in it like you're playing Yahtzee, it comes out two freshmen. And you got two freshmen out there trying to attack a 1-3-1. They've probably seen it five times in their college career, five possessions total. And... um, we got good looks. They just they have to be rhythm threes or pounded in, um, and you just got to make them. It, it, it kind of takes you out of rhythm. That's the whole concept of the defense. You know, having seen this team since the fall, it, it's really baffling to me and others who have been around them, and I'm sure it has to be to you a little bit. This is a team that has good shooters on it. You watch these guys shoot in practice and in warm-ups and shooting drills, there are plenty of good shooters on this team, but it hasn't translated into the kind of shooting game-to-game game that we thought we would see from this team. Well, we talked about that. If we were playing horse in a practice gym, it would be a, one of the better teams. One, I'm not saying we have the best shooter ever, or the, but if you lined them up 1 through 16 versus some of these other teams that we've had, we would win, I think, nine or more uh, horse games. But we don't play horse. You play at Cincinnati in the third, fifth arena with how many, twelve or 13,000 people. They had a blackout. And the bottom line is they're young. When you look at some of the players that we've had over the years and great players in college basketball in general, Fred Van Vliet's a perfect example. He didn't have a very good shooting percentage as a freshman, but he's a pretty good, pretty good player. He became a, a very high-level scorer, shooter, and much better percentage. Now he shoots an unbelievable percentage in the association, but he wasn't a very good percentage shooter as a freshman. One thing that uh, I thought was one of the real positives out of yesterday's game, there was a stretch early in the second half where you turned it over two or three times and you're backcourt and all of a sudden it's a nine-point game. And that had the feel of a game that could quickly get out of hand and, and go south on you. And your guys, and you had to call a timeout, but your guys really did fight back, get it stabilized, and not only got back in it, but had it tied and chances to even go ahead late. Yeah, we had multiple chances to go ahead in the last three minutes. I think three or four different shots in the air or whatever, but couldn't get one to go. And and, and I thought uh, uh, JB got fouled on his shot fake uh, in the lane. Uh, if some of those other calls are fouls on the other end, I mean, just because he wasn't barreling in at full speed. And Cumberland knows how to do that, man. you got to give him credit. I mean, he's, he's like a freight train going downhill, and he's looking for somebody to – it's like a heat-seeking missile. He's looking for somebody to run into and then kind of throw the ball up and get to the foul line, and he's, he's undoubtedly really good at it. You know, and that, I know that gets frustrating for people, like for our fans, but has it been your experience that, that officials in any league – 
say the Big South when you were there, guys that had established themselves over time as some of the best players in the league, it's not that they consciously give them a break or protect them, but they just gain a certain amount of respect sometimes to where if it's, it could go either way, they tend to get some calls. It's called bit. the Jordan rules <laughs> for Michael Jordan. And uh, most leagues have a little bit of that. And I mean, again, I said it before the game, uh, not a huge fan, but a very big, much respect for Mr. Cumberland and the way he plays the game because he's so big and so strong. He does not a vertical athlete, but he plays as hard as anyone out there. And especially against us, we, we bring out the best in him. So uh, congratulations to he, the John Brandon and the Cincinnati Bearcats. They got us on another nail biter. And at some point, the law of averages is going to even out. Well, we will continue with Shocker head coach Greg Marshall at our Monday night coaches show from AJ's. Welcome back to our Monday night coaches show from AJ's with head coach Greg Marshall talking Shocker men's basketball. We talked before the game. We put the numbers out there for the listeners. Trey Scott, over the last six games prior to yesterday, had averaged 18.5 points and 16 rebounds. And in that six-game stretch, the only game he'd been under 14 points was a nine-point outing here. And yesterday, you hold him to eight, none in the second half. I mean, nobody's been doing that. And I just wanted to get you to talk a little bit about the job your guys did on him. Well, first of all, that kid is playing at a very, very high level. I mean, like an NBA power forward or a wing forward level the last five to seven games. Um, and our guys did a wonderful job of taking, taking, making sure that he didn't get a, a running start to the offensive glass. Uh, we did help off of him because he's in the past he's been a reluctant shooter. He's been shooting it really well of late, but he's never been a great shooter for over the course of a season or a half a season of course he knocks down his first three-point attempt against us uh, but we did a great job but it's the other guys that come in like uh, Jara has three made three-point field goals for the year one in Coke Arena and one yesterday and it's just amazing that these you know we seem to bring out the best in these kids Zach Harvey is averaging a little over a point a game, and he goes for 10 points in 14 minutes or whatever he gets, makes his only three-point attempt. It was a moon ball. I mean, he shot it up to the rafters, and it goes in. Um, Chris McNeil had averaged a point a game for the last 20 games, and it's he an has, and one. A, has a circus and flip. One. And the ball almost went over the backboard. It hit the top of the backboard and came through. Um, Someone, I think Grant or, Eric or Tyson had dug a little bit in the post, and he cut, and that was um, Dexter's first foul, which ended up he was in foul trouble the whole game. And I want to throw one more in. Micah Adams-Woods drove the lane late, missed the shot. The ball comes back to him. He puts it back up, and it seemed like it hung on the rim for three seconds and finally falls in. It was just one of those days where those bounces seemed to be yeah. going their way. Yeah, you've got to get some bounces, and you've got to shoot the ball better, score it better when you have a chance, and then, you know, 
at least defend and make them score a field goal and not put them on the foul line every time down the stretch. And you mentioned Dex had some foul trouble, but I wanted to bring up, with all the free throws Cumberland shot and everything else, I thought when Dex was on him, he did maybe as good a job as, as anybody you've had at at least making it difficult for him. Absolutely. I thought our whole team did. I mean, from the field, he struggled. Um, uh, uh, Noah fouled him one time for three, three shots, which was not smart. But uh, Dex got called for a foul one time that I still am wondering where the contact was, but they gave him two free throws, and it was a, a pretty good contest in my opinion. One of the things that you have talked about some in recent games, it's, it's an asset that some teams in the league certainly have, and that is guys able to slash to the basket and, and cut through your defense and create plays and so forth was – Yesterday, maybe as close as Jamarius Burton has come to kind of being that guy for you, or at least moving in that direction a little bit. Well, that's what he needs to become. Um, he was very good at it. Uh, what I liked was the fact that a couple of times he drove in and didn't have a shot and didn't have a pass, and he kept his dribble alive. So he was able to circle back around, and, and that's what you see guards do now. I, I the, the, the guards that do it the most are Villanova guards. Jalen Brunson, when they won t- two national championships, and now the young man, Connor Gillespie, I think is his name, or something Gillespie. It might, that's the baseball player. <laughs> but uh, there's a, um, a Gillespie kid that does it for them now. And they go into the lane, and if they don't have it, they just keep their dribble alive. And it, it puts a lot, similar to what LaQuincy Rideau does for South Florida. And it's just constant pressure on the basket. Um, we need that. That's what we need to develop. And um, obviously Cumberland, Quincy Rideau, J- uh, the kid at Houston, Giroux, uh, yeah. whatever his first name is, Giroux. I mean, they're downhill. And they're, now, Giroux does it with speed and quickness and all of that and, and length. But Cumberland just does it with brute strength, and and how, however we need, however they need to do it, we need to learn. That's how you do it at the end of the game. And something else that that had really come on for JB this year, from compared to last season, was that little pull-up jumper, eight, ten, twelve feet, and it seemed to kind of leave him for a while. But not only yesterday, but it seems lately, the last two or three games, that's kind of coming back. For yeah, him. I think the second shot of the game, he tried one on the left side in the first half and missed it. He tried to make a straight-on shot instead of using the glass, about twelve feet on the left side in transition. He made a pull-up jumper off a ball screen right around the foul line uh, in the second half. And, you know, that's he missed a couple of layups, though. He got to the rim and didn't finish. And he didn't get fouled. So, got to finish. And then Noah played about 15 minutes yesterday. Six points, two assists, no turnovers. Is he getting closer to being that point guard that you recruited and and the true kind well, of point he's, guard he just you know he's he is what he is he's a 511 ratty tough confident uh he made two big shots yesterday one a step back three one a corner three both in the first half and he passed it well he passed over the top to poor bear for his basket um didn't turn it over where he hurt us yesterday was on defense he gave up a lot of points, and he's still learning 
how to defend uh, at this level. He's also learning that he needs to continue to get stronger and maybe have a growth spurt. That would help. I mean, he's, he's, uh, it's, it's very difficult for him to fight over those ball screens because these are monstrous human beings. I mean, vote setting a screen for Cumberland and then little Noah's out there. That's a, he's at a disadvantage, but he's going to battle you. He dove on a loose ball yesterday right in front of our bench when a couple of other players were kind of surveying the situation. He just went headlong for the ball. So, yeah, he had a pretty good game, and uh, that's the first time he's played on the road like that in such meaningful minutes. And this leads me back to something for just a moment that I was going to bring up. We were talking about how well you defended Scott in the two games. You don't have a guy that is the same size and quickness and all that to just match up one-on-one. So the guys that you put on him, Dexter and Trey Wade, for instance, have to be a little smarter and be able to use what assets they have to handle a guy like that. You know, that's a good question. And this, I'm, this, I guess this is why folks listen to this show. <laughs> Josephat Belial. all week I talked about the numbers that Trey Scott was putting up and, and hey, challenging Dexter and Trey and DeAntony if he got a shot. How are you going to keep him off the glass? How, how, how are you going to match his motor? Because he is a 6'8", 220-pound, just wind-up uh, uh, toy that just goes and goes and goes. Like the, I'm thinking the Duracell battery commercials <laughs> back in the day. Um, I think it was a bunny with it a was drum. a bunny with a drum, okay. yeah, yeah. So, Josephat. Before the game the other day, I said, now, I want you to watch this kid, and I want you to tell me if you can be anywhere close to him. He goes, I can do it today, coach. I go, no, no, we're not going to burn your red shirt. We're not going to burn your red shirt. But uh, I do think that he's probably the closest we have. But he's 6'10", with great skill. He just is a little wild, a little full of himself, hasn't, hasn't really – uh, been in those situations, but it's good to have him over there learning and watching, and hopefully he can be that for us in the future. And I've had several questions about him lately, and I'd gotten the feeling that you and your staff are are pleased and encouraged with the progress he's making, that he could be a contributor next oh, year. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, he'll be a contributor next year, but the, but the thing is, can he stay healthy? His biggest thing when he came to us was a laundry list of physical ailments, which would hamper any uh, thought or uh, the, the action of becoming a great basketball player. I mean, when your knees hurt, your ankle hurts, your shoulders hurt. So he's gotten relatively healthy, but still there's a couple of things that are bothering him. But he does play hard. He is very athletic, and he's very long. And that gets me back to <laughs> – this is the winding road, sorry. But, but back to Noah, because uh, – what we were talking about with those guys guarding Trey Scott, chances are Noah's not going to have the growth spurt you kiddingly mentioned, but so he's going to have to learn to use the assets he has. Who said I was kidding? Against, <laughs> well, okay, we'll hope. But against uh, against some of the bigger guards that he's going to face and so forth, he'll have to figure out how to use his yeah, natural and, and assets. I'm telling you there's an extra step that he has, and uh, we saw it in the summer and we saw it in the fall right before – he went down. Um, he actually landed on JB's foot on a jump shot in practice. So he came out of the air, landed on his foot, and, you know, I thought, oh, my goodness, he may have broken his ankle. Or It ended up being a, a really bad bone bruise, 
which was very, very painful. And it took him nine weeks to come back. So that, that was very hard for him, hard for me, hard for our team. And uh, now, now at that point, season's on going. Your, your, your rotations are kind of set. And he just had a hard time. But he stayed positive, and now he's getting an opportunity. And, oh, I think he can definitely help us. He's going to be more the, the Matt, Matt Breyer-type little whip-it-type guards. You've gotta, you just got to catch me, and I'm going to be able to shoot it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play hard. I'm going to be smart. I'm never going to turn it over. I'm going to have a lot of assists. And I'm going to be a positive energy giver instead of a, a, a negative energy drainer. One other guy that uh, certainly seemed to me a positive out of yesterday's game was, was Trey Wade, not closer yesterday to what we've seen earlier this season from him yeah. than he's been in a while. Well, he was good in the last game. It was South Florida, yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, what he's starting to do now is when he's in, instead of – uh, conserving his energy, he's utilizing his quickness and his speed. As you mentioned, he's not quite as big as Trey Scott, but he beat s- the, someone we played last, I think it was South Florida, at home. He beat him down the court twice in transition and either scored or got us an easy look by sprinting. He did a little bit of that yesterday. Uh, I thought he competed on the glass, um, made a three. So... It was good to see him play pretty well again. You know, and he made a he made a play yesterday with an offensive rebound and then a quick move under the basket, got the reverse layup, and felt like at times he's been a good offensive rebounder all year, but at times he's taken too long to try to make a play after he gets it, to go back up, and then there's big bodies around. Yeah, he's not a natural uh, back-to-the-basket guy. I mean, he, he likes to face the basket and... And he needs some work on that. We've talked about that. He also needs work on dribbling and putting the ball on the floor. So we'll work on that this spring. But um, he's gotten a little better after being dreadful early in the season with finishing around the basket. And if, 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 unless he's wide open, he just goes right up and dunks it. And you've mentioned, you know, this quickness. We've seen him make some plays lately where maybe he's been in the high post area, made a pass, and then made a great cut and gotten it back for a dunk or something from the other side. Yeah, he, he and Jamie do a good job on that. We lost one yesterday. It kind of fumbled off of his legs, a pass from Jamie on a cut. But one of the best plays of the whole game was Jamarius dribbling in against, I think it was the 1-3-1 zone in the second half, hit um, – and I'm telling you, they were all about three or four feet apart. He hit Trey with a little bounce pass or, or pass, and Trey immediately redirected it, and I think it was a bounce pass to Jaime for an and one to tie the game. Yeah. Well, a lot of good things, and we're going to move ahead, talk about what's coming up as well as we continue with Greg Marshall on our Monday Night Coaches Show. Welcome back to the Greg Marshall Show. Just a quick reminder that uh, we will have a couple more shows coming your way. In fact, three more before tomorrow evening is over. Coming up after this one at 7 o'clock, Keitha Adams talking about women's basketball. We'll be recording our baseball coaches show with Eric Wedge from 8 to 9, but that show will actually air tomorrow from 6 to 7 because of conflicts after the 8 o'clock hour with previously scheduled programming, and then Christy Breadbenner tomorrow evening from 7 to 7.30 with the softball show and no coaches shows next Monday because of women's basketball. Coach, Jamie Echenique 
is doing a lot for this team in a lot of ways. But I, as I watch you, I get the, the feeling that you and he have even taken another step in your relationship, and he's become someone that you're even more trusting and confident in as a, as a leader and somebody you can really rely on. Uh, you know, I'm very, very uh, pleased with his development, and he, even though he did not play one of his better <laughs> games yesterday, which was bad timing, but he's been a rock. I mean, literally, he's... He's really covered up a lot of mistakes on the defensive end. He's scored on the offensive end. He's rebounded. He's blocked shots. He's been a rim protector. He's been a vocal leader in, in the locker room and out of the locker room. So, I mean, I, I just want I, – I, I would – more than anything, I want this to end well for him because I, I, he's the only senior, and he's the only one that with, – with, he doesn't have a choice. He's done. His college career is done. He can't play for us here ne- next year. He can't play for another school next year. I mean, he. this is it. He's going to be a pro next year, and I'd love for him to have an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. He's a wonderful human being and just really enjoys being in our program and being coached, and And what he, he he's very appreciative of how far he's come as a player, and I just love him as a kid. You know, it, it hadn't even occurred to me, and he was on with us after the last home game, and Dave mentioned something to him about you have two home games left. And he said, yeah, I said, I'm going to be heartbroken, you know, that it's, it's ending. And so I just wanted to mention that because I hope that everyone not only will be out to support the team these last two home games, but especially make him feel special over these last couple of home games because he is a really special He is a man. great kid, and he's been away from his family for a long time. His mother's a chef. In Barranquilla, Colombia, his father is a bus driver. Uh, I've never spoken to him because they don't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. I've never met him, never seen him. Uh, recruited him out of junior college here in the United States. There was some question whether he could play here or not, whether he was physically and mentally tough enough and, and, and wanted to push himself enough to come play here for me in this program. And I was... So even after we signed him as a junior college sophomore, in the spring, they, they asked me, do you, do you want this kid? And I go, yeah, he didn't even start for the junior college team. He, he was the sixth man. He was the second center. So I go, absolutely. And so I think some other people had started to sniff around and do some kind of unethical recruiting things, if you will. The kid said, no, I want to go. I wanted him, and the kid wanted him, but the people around him were trying to sniff and see if there was an option for some of these other people to get involved, even though he had a national letter of intent signed with us. Um, what I'm doing now, and I did this a lot yesterday with a, with a very good friend of ours who is close to the Pompeos, closer than I, we're, tr- we're trying to get his parents a visa from... Bogota, Colombia, to get him here either for his last home game or if we can't do that, graduation. And he's very, very uh, headstrong about trying to make that happen. And we're doing all we can to the point where we're calling in allies in very high places to try to help us. Well, that would be really special, really cool. You know, you mentioned him as a rim protector and shot blocker, and that seems to be an aspect of his game that's growing. And uh, as part of it, has he developed a a better sense of 
of just timing and when to go for it, and, and he's not drawing fouls as often as he's blocking shots. And he is really, really long. I mean, that's one thing that the kid is. He's 6'11", but he's got long arms, and he's got really long hands and fingers. Doesn't have the strongest hands in the world, but they're very long. And uh, he can get up there and get a fingertip. I mean, when, when, when um, Cincinnati beat us the first time on the and one by um, Cumberland, Jamie missed that shot block by this much. I, I watched it like 10 times. I'm going, how did he not get that ball? Because it literally was this. But that's, that's a difference in a freshman going in there or a, a reigning player of the year who knows exactly where he has to put the ball. Moving forward as we get down to these last few games and things that you're continuing to work on improving is one of the things now that he has become such a good rim protector and shot blocker that there needs to be more awareness on the part of the guards on the back side to make sure they get down and box out when he has to go uphill a little bit and, and protect yeah, the rim. Without a doubt. And not just the guard that's being ball screened and Jamie, but the other three have to get involved too. And I thought that's where we were really good yesterday. Um, we were clogging it up. Cumberland had a lot of turnovers early. He had four in the first half, I know, because when he was coming off those ball screens, he, he had the guard fighting. He had the big Jaime, in most cases, showing, having, showing his numbers and getting his hands and those long fingers up in the, in the air to try to take away a passing lane. And then we had the other three guys kind of flooding towards the action. And not allowing Vote to get a screen and roll, uh, not allowing Cumberland to get the little pull-up jump shot. So several times he had to pick up his dribble and find somebody on the other side or someone had to come meet the ball or meet the pass just so he could get rid of it. All right, we will continue with Shocker head coach Greg Marshall from AJ Sports Grill at the Alley on our Monday Night Coaches Show. Welcome back to the Greg Marshall Show as we talk Shocker men's basketball. And I think that probably most of you are well aware of this by now, but we'll just keep plugging this over the next couple of days, that the basketball game on Thursday night was originally on your schedule as a 6 o'clock tip-off with uh, Temple, but it was moved a couple of weeks ago to 7 o'clock. So Thursday night, 7 o'clock Temple. And then the Shockers are on the road Sunday afternoon at SMU, the following Thursday at Memphis, and close it out that following Sunday, last game of the regular season, against Tulsa here. So two home, two on the road. And uh, the, all the stuff came out today, the NCAA net, uh, Ken Palm and all of that. And I think it would be fair to say that yesterday's loss didn't really hurt you appreciably. It just would have been a really nice win to pick up. It could have maybe helped you more and all of that than the loss hurt you. I'd much rather have won the game and helped us than just being neutral. And uh, I don't know what happened. I haven't really looked. I've just been breaking down the film and licking my wounds and trying to figure out where we go from here. And hopefully we can get a win against Temple. I mean, they beat us in Philly. Uh, we played horribly in the second half. Um, just a tough team you know their temple's a good basketball team one of the top five winningest programs in college basketball we'll have to play well we'll have to, if we play the way we did saturday or sunday we'll, we'll win the game i think 
unless they go on a heater, which they've been capable of doing, especially in our building. Remember the year they had like a 20-something point lead yeah. in the first half? I think they hit 10 or 11 threes in the first half. So many of those guys are back other than Shiz Alston. Unfortunately, Shiz Alston is not. Uh, 37 in both Ken Pomeroy and the ESPN BPI, 43 in the NCAA net. So none of that really changed much. Uh, uh, Joe Lenardi has the Shockers in as an 11 seed, and Jerry Palm has them where he did last week as a 12 seed playing in the first four. So, again, no real damage, and the opportunities are still there, but certainly... uh, you need a strong finish. No yeah, question. we're going to have to win some games. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to go to uh, – we have to win at Temple, against Temple. We're going to have to go and win on the road. One of these two, if not both of them, and then finish out against a good Tulsa team and then probably have a good showing in the conference tournament. So we're right there. Um, it could go either way. I hope – and, again, we don't control what other teams do. We just have to control what we can do, which is try to get as many wins as possible. And the conference standings are a jumble, and it could still get shuffled a lot. Uh, for instance, I think it's tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, Memphis and SMU, the two teams tied with the Shockers, play in Dallas. So somebody's going to get a seventh loss. And there's several other. Cincinnati and Houston still have to play. They're idle midweek and play this weekend. So uh, there's still a lot that can happen, even though there are only four games You know left. who's going to win the league, in my opinion, is T- Tulsa. And the reason is because they've got the easiest schedule from here on out. And they've had the easiest schedule. They were one of the teams that said, okay, we're not going to be that good. So – the league gave them, uh, I guess, eight, seven games where you play two teams uh, t- twice. So that's 14 conference games. And then the teams that they played once are like Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, and somebody else, like that. And they play the other teams at the bottom twice. So uh, that's just... That's a little kink in the, 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 the ointment there with, um, with the way our conference does the scheduling. I mean, but they're probably not even talked about as being an at-large team because of, because of that schedule. Yeah, for those of you who kind of follow that stuff, right now Houston and Wichita State are still basically solid at-large selections in all of these. And Cincinnati's kind of right on the bubble. They're in some and right on the edge in a couple of others. So uh, those are the three. Everyone else is 60 or beyond in the, the net and the Ken Palm and all of that. And that's probably not going to get you in the, the conversation. Uh, might be worth mentioning that UConn has stayed uh, in the 60s somewhere. So South Carolina's moved into the 60s and those things. Those become quadrant one wins for the Shockers because a, a win over a top 70 team or better away from home uh, gets you there. So those have turned out to be teams that have helped you a little bit by playing better late. Yeah, and I thought at one point South Carolina was kind of flirting with an at-large bid as well. They had really done well in their conference, uh, just continually working Frank Martin down in Columbia, South Carolina. So, you know, we, we hammered those guys. By, I think we beat them by 27 points, and it could have been more than that if we'd have kept playing. It was just the bottom line is his team's better now, and I'm glad that they're uh, a, a Q1 win. 
You know, talking about coaches and talking about this league, I noticed yesterday in the handshake line that you not only shook John Brandon's hand, but gave him a little bit of a hug, and we've talked about that's a that's a young man that you helped coach when you were at Marshall University. He was finishing up his career. You've become friends and respectful colleagues. Is it, is it tougher playing somebody like that that's kind of a friend, or is that something you can just kind of put in the background? For well, the I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. We have to play each other now, but... Uh, I certainly like John and, and uh, want to see John successful because you know, I do have a little tiny piece of, of his DNA in there somewhere. But um, actually, when we talked um, here about a month ago when they played us the first time, uh, I had noticed his dad uh, was wearing like a neck brace behind the bench. And so I said, John, what's wrong with your dad? Because his dad was always so friendly and so nice when I was coaching, uh, coaching John at Marshall uh, in 1996, 97. But even beyond that, after John went to VCU, uh, I think we played him when he was at VCU at, as, at Wichita State. And then when he went to Alabama, remember how many times we played Alabama yeah, yeah. and Anthony Grant? Well, John was on that staff, so I would see him in Puerto Rico, and I would see him in all these different places, and his dad was always just super nice and very friendly, and, Coach, how you doing? Thank you so much for everything you did for John. Well, I asked John right before the game in Wichita, what's wrong with your dad? What's going on? He goes, Coach, uh, he's got uh, ALS, mm. and it's – come on pretty quickly and it's just it's overwhelmed us and it's so I went out a little early yesterday before the game because I wanted to see his dad and he's behind the bench for every Cincinnati game that I've ever watched since John's been the coach I said John where's your dad I don't see him I don't see your mom I don't see your dad I just wanted to say hello and wish him well and just give him a hug and he goes it's the first game he hasn't been able to make so just that's kind of the backstory to the hug and the communication before the game and after the game, it was just, you know, praying for your dad because he's a wonderful gentleman. He, he raised a great son and, uh, you know, he's not doing very well. All right. Sad to hear that, but, but thank you. And we will come back. Coach touched on Temple, Temple and SMU this week. We'll talk about the upcoming games on the Greg Marshall Show. Welcome back to the Greg Marshall Show, our final segment this week from AJ Sports Grill at the Alley. Just a reminder that we will not have any coaches' shows next Monday night, March the 2nd, as that time will be filled by a women's basketball game at UCF. I do want to mention also, since we did this show last Monday, the Shockers, of course, played a home game against USF in midweek last week and wore the pink uniforms to help bring awareness to the fight against breast cancer. And uh, I just I wanted to make sure everyone was aware or remembered that the auction for all of those items, the uniforms, some of Coach Marshall's stuff and so forth, is still going through this Sunday, March the 1st. So if you were not aware of that and, and would like to you know, bid on those items, uh, you can still do that through March 1st. And as we talked about, all that money goes to the American Cancer Society. Well, we need... Um we need to raise as much money as we can, and 100% will go for breast cancer research. Um, I saw some of the numbers on some of those uniforms, and they're really the numbers are getting up there. So we're gonna we're gonna raise 20,000 anyway. Uh, 
And hopefully we can raise even more game-worn uniforms, cleaned, laundered, pressed, ready to go, uh, original Under Armour, tops and bottoms, some shoes, some uh, my tie, things like that. So get out there and bid. I might mention also, because we had some questions on this on our pregame show before that game, if you did not hear, you cannot buy one of those items and then donate it directly to a current player. That's considered an extra benefit. But what you can do is win the, win the item, donate it back to the athletic department, who will then at the appropriate time present it to the, the young man if you want to do something like that. It has to be when they graduate or whatever, when they're no longer playing, but the, you can do it that way if, if you want to do something like that. Coach, you mentioned Temple, 14-13, and 6-8 and eight in the conference, 4-6 and six on the road. They lose a four-point game at ECU on Sunday. Just prior to that, beat UConn at home in double overtime. Their last four games, they're 3-1, and one, and all four have been decided by four points or less or in overtime. That's this league. This league seems to be the overtime league, the buzzer-beater league, the one-possession league. And, and we just need to make some plays down the stretch and win some of these. And I, I don't care if it's one possession or three possessions or ten possessions. We need a win on Thursday night, and then we've got to head to Memphis on Saturday. Is this team, maybe as much as anybody in this league and the teams you've played, you mentioned a Quentin Rose and a Jean-Pierre Louis, a, a team that can be as streaky as about anybody. And when those, Rose is shooting 37.5%, but he can get going and just light it up all yeah. night long. Well, I, I like to refer to Philly's guards affectionately as, as city guards. They've got city game, and they play with a lot of emotion and, and confidence and you know, that confidence can be sky high at times when they made two or three in a row or you miss a couple badly and, you know, all of a sudden they start doubting themselves. So they have some really talented guards. Um, forwards have been hurt all year. Mormon was hurt one game I saw. Devondre Perry was hurt another game I saw. So I'm assuming they're going to be healthy. I haven't gotten into them yet. Today was the day that we're still breaking down the Cincinnati film. And as long as you've been playing them, they've, they've had some of those guys. that they, Right now they've got five guys after Rose and Pierre-Louis that are all averaging from about six to eight points a game. And on any given night, and we've seen any, one of several of them have big nights. Who was it, uh, Mormon or DeAndre Perry that had like three or four threes? Perry, I think, here. In the yeah. first half uh, two years ago, and they had a 20-something point lead. And one of the best basketball games I've been a part of in a long time. We came back and won that game in the second half against Temple. But, man, they were on fire. And as you mentioned, not a, not a real good first half, but you were ahead at halftime up there, and then the wheels just came off in the second half, and it was kind of out of nowhere, and, and that kind of started that bad stretch that you're fighting your way out of. Sure now. did. It was, a, it was like a, a, a flip switch it was ridiculous how poorly we played in the second half there and then all of a sudden we couldn't get out of it and um then we got the three home uh, we got the three wins in a row just recently before the cincinnati game and we're just going to have to find that same uh momentum going here in the last two weeks and then kind of a strange situation 28 games into your schedule you're going to face a conference opponent for the first time and the only time on sunday when you go to smu yeah uh, that's um that's a little quirk in the schedule, but the other teams have that same thing. I don't know why they would do that, but it seems like if you're going to play them once, you should play them more in the middle because teams can be a lot better or a lot worse than they are from one 
start of the season to the end of the season, uh, and that you give them four months. So, and there's injuries involved too. So I, I think that's maybe something they should look at. If you're just going to play a team once, you should play them more towards the middle of the season if possible. And a talented offensive team, four guys averaging 11 to 15 points a game, a couple of them brand new to the program. Yeah, well, Isaiah Mike is a tremendously talented forward. Um, they've got the Kenrich Davis kid, the transfer from TCU that was allowed to play right away, their point guard who stirs the drink. Um, yeah, they've got uh, Ferran Hunt has become a really dangerous weapon now as a sophomore, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, long. He can shoot the three now. And Chargot is one that, I mean, here's a junior, and as a freshman and sophomore, I thought he was really, really good. And he's kind of having a so-so season at this point and uh, not playing a whole lot. So I don't know what's going on there, but I just want one more time when we play him that that's the case because I think he's pretty talented. Well, it's a big stretch coming up and uh, very exciting what could still transpire. But as you said, you got to win some games. Got to go win some games. Coach, thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. That does it for our Greg Marshall show this week. Stay tuned for women's head coach Keitha Adams coming up at the top of the hour. And if you want to hang around and hear from Eric Wedge, we'll be interviewing him for playback tomorrow night. But uh, that's all coming up still here at AJ's. Thanks for being with us for the Greg Marshall show on this Monday night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.